Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares teaches an essential lesson on forgiveness. Whatever else I've ever preached, I know for positive that this sermon is one you'll need, and you'll need it from now until the day you die. This will be a set of principles that you will have to put into action if you are going to survive in a world full of words, comments, and attitudes that will inevitably hurt you, and they'll hurt you personally, and sometimes they'll hurt you deeply. You know, there's no way to get through this life without butting heads with other people and feeling the sting of insults and hurt. In those difficult moments, each of us needs to give and receive forgiveness in order to survive. Today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Fabares provides timeless biblical principles on how to forgive. Our message today comes from 2 Samuel chapter 19 and the life of King David. It's an essential lesson called The Key to Survival on an Imperfect Planet. Now let's get started. 2 Samuel 19, verse number 13. David's message to these people, he includes this statement. Would you please say to Amasa, well, who's that guy? Amasa was the leader of the rebel army that was giving instructions and strategies to try and kill David. So David's got a message for him. Got a message for him. And perhaps it's one like this. Everyone can, you know, reconcile with me except you, right? That's what I'm expecting, perhaps. Look back at our passage, 19, verse 13. And say to Amasa, are you not my own flesh and blood? Oh, my goodness. Aren't you from the tribe of Judah? Don't, you, don't we have an affinity together? He says, he says in verse 13, may God deal with me, be it ever so severely, if from now on you are not the commander of my army in place of Joab. That's huge. What's he doing? Is that grace? My goodness, that's grace. What, is, what, is, what does Amasa deserve? He deserves death. He deserves David to backhand him. He deserves Dave to exclude him. I'll forgive everybody and let's reconcile, but not you because you were a, the head of the army giving strategies to try and kill me. David says, no, I want you to be the leader of my army. You know what that is? That's an extension of full-blown, unbridled forgiveness. It's grace. It's this kind of thing. Keep your finger here, 2 Samuel 19, and go with me to Romans chapter 12. This is what it is. He calls these people that have injured us and hurt us our enemies. And though you can think of that in political terms and military terms, it really comes down to the people in our lives that have hurt us. Are you with me? Romans chapter 12, drop down to verse number 20. He says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. It's the kind of grace that God demonstrates for us on the Sermon on the Mount when he says, you know, God is like that. He sends his son to rise on the crops of the evil and the good. He sends his rain on the crops of people that are wicked and sinful. And he extends his grace every day to people. He extends his hand of reconciliation. And you know what? I want you to be like that. And he says, when you do that, when you love your enemies, when you pray for those who persecute you, you know what you're like? I love what he says in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, you will then be sons of the Most High. What's he saying? It's not a statement about our salvation. It's a statement about being a chip off the old block. Then you'll be like dad. Then you'll be like our heavenly father because you know, our heavenly father is constantly extending a hand of reconciliation to people that have wronged him. You want to be like that? Then you start showing some charisma to people in your life who have hurt you. And then he gives this analogy there in verse number 20. 
It's really a complex ancient analogy about heaping burning coals in their head. And some people have tried to interpret that into something negative. It's not negative because in verse 21, he calls it good. He says, don't be overcome by evil when people hurt you, but overcome evil with good. Do good to people. Help them. Assist them. Extend that hand of grace when it's not deserved. And you know what you'll do? You'll start to overcome all the ramifications of evil and injury by doing good. Do you see what he's saying? When someone hurts you, it causes a rift. There's tension in relationships that you have right now. God is so into reconciliation. He wants to heal that relationship, and he wants you to make the first move. And my point is, have you made the first move with those people that you feel that tension with? Those people in your family you haven't talked to because, you know, there's this bridge, this gap, this distance because they've hurt you. And you're saying, well, they've hurt me. And if anybody should call, they ought to call. No, 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 no. The Bible puts the responsibility on you. You make the first move. You hold out the hand of grace. And David did that. So much so that Amasa was given, given an invitation to become the leader of the army. Back to our passage. How well does that work? If you are obedient to biblical forgiveness by extending your hand in grace to people, more times than not, God will show that he is apt and quick to back his word up in obedient Christians by giving a good result. And that's exactly what happened in our passage. Look at verse 14. David, in offering that hand of Kerizomai, won over the hearts of all the men of Judah as though they were one man. And they sent word to the king, oh, David, come back, return. You and all your men. Then the king returned and went as far as the Jordan. Now, why did he go as far as the Jordan? Because here they come. Look at the bottom of verse 15. Now the men of Judah had come to Gilgal to go out and meet the king and bring him across the Jordan. That's a beautiful picture of reconciliation. Here are these people reconciling, meeting at the Jordan River. As David comes back, they sent word back, come on back. How come that all happened? How come there's this sweet picture of alienated parties being reconciled here? Not because David waited for their disputing and arguing and wondering what they were going to do to finish. Not because he waited for some fruit basket and some apology letter. It happened because David made the first move. And David said, let's get, it, let's get all this behind us. Can we move forward? Is God into that? You bet he is. But you might think it's easy when you're looking at the masses of people that have been mean to you. But it gets real personal and specific in the first word of verse 16. Look at that. You remember him? Shimei? Oh, Shimei, the dirt clod thrower, Right? The guy who came out as David was leaving and dragging his sandals in the dirt about as low as a man could get, being chased by his own son out of town. With a defeated, half-assembled army, with his family, you know, just trying to make his way out of town to save his life. And Shimei comes up throwing dirt clods and rocks at him, saying, Get out of here, you scoundrel. Leave, you man of blood. And all this stuff that's happening to you, you deserve it. You're a jerk. Get out of here, idiot. Never liked that king anyway. And David is receives all this abuse. Different story now. David marching back, elders of Judah, leaders of Israel, flanked on both sides, pomp, success, reconciliation, and guess who shows up? Dirt clod man, right? <laughs> Here's Shimei. He's got all his people. He's out there, got all his family, his friends, the Benjamites are there. Look at the middle of verse 18. Shimei came, crossed the Jordan, fell prostrate before the king. And he said, May my Lord not hold me guilty. I'm sorry, Dave. Don't, don't remember how your servant did wrong on the day my Lord the king left Jerusalem. Please, man, just put it out of your mind. May the king put it out of his mind. For I, your servant, I know I've sinned. But today, man, I, I, want, I want to reconcile. I've, I've come here as the first of the whole uh, house of, of Joseph, and I've come down to meet my Lord the king. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm thinking, come on. You know, you're kissing up now. 
Because, you know, you know you're in big trouble. Because here comes the king. He's coming back. You know, and I'm thinking Dave probably has got every right to hold a grudge and say, no way am I forgiven you. You were way out of line. And, you know, that's what the world's advice is all about. Verse 21, Abishai chimes in. Abishai, you might remember, brother of Joab, says, shouldn't Shimei be put to death for this? He cursed Yahweh's anointed. This guy, let's kill him. Now, David's already refrained some people from trying to kill Shimei. But now, at least, you might think, well, we'll find you. We'll throw you in prison. I mean, now he's restored. He's back in this position. And here comes Shimei trying to pretend it didn't happen. Oh, just don't even think about it. Forget it. Let's just pretend it didn't happen. Yeah, but I said, that wouldn't be right. That wouldn't be fair. No. And notice David's response. He says, what do you and I have in common, you sons of Zeruiah? He's so frustrated with Joab and Abishai. He says, you guys, we just don't click. This day, you have become my adversaries. That Hebrew word is the word that ends up becoming the proper name, the personal name of Satan. That's, I mean, it is so akin to that passage where Jesus looks at Peter and he says, get behind me, Satan. You remember why he did that? He said that to Peter because Peter was suggesting some things, this is the way Jesus described it, that had man's interest involved, not God's. Peter was suggesting things that as Jesus tried to do the right thing, here he was whispering in Jesus' ear all the things that were wrong. That's exactly what's happening here. David says, you're becoming my adversary right now. You're becoming like Satan. You're becoming an opposer to what's right. I'm trying to do right. And you are whispering in my ear things that are potentially persuasive that want to draw me off the track. And all that is in this case is, you know, it just ain't right that he doesn't pay. Shimei should pay. Something should happen to Shimei. And David says, no. He says, should anyone be put to death in Israel today? Forget it. Don't I know that I'm the king over Israel? So the king said to Shimei, you shall not die. And the king promised him on oath. Do you know what he's saying? You did wrong and there ought to be some recompense. There ought to be some kind of settling of the score. There ought to be some penalty for this, but I'm going to release you from the penalty. I'm not going to kill you. And, and David did this. Another word in the New Testament, more often than not translated forgiveness. Several Greek words translated, but there's another word, aphemi. Aphemi is different from charizomai. Charizomai talks about extending favor where it's not deserved. Aphemi is the word that's used 45 times in the New Testament for forgive, forgives, forgiveness. And it is the word to release, to let go of. Matter of fact, in other contexts, when it's not talking about forgiving someone, it's often translated to let go of or release, to separate, to part. Sometimes it's translated to cancel. And it's translated cancel in some of the contexts where Jesus is trying to teach about forgiveness and he brings it into the context of money. And he says it's like a debt being a femied, canceled. And when you forgive someone, it's going to feel like that, letting go of a debt. A debt that should be rightfully paid, but you let go of it anyway. Jot this down. If the first component of forgiveness is making the first move, extending charisma, the second component of forgiveness, the other half of it is going to feel like this, fully canceling the debt. It's going to be seeing that there should be some equity here, but I'm letting it go. I'm forgetting about it. I'm saying no. When I say forget, I'm not talking about mentally. I'm talking about judicially. I'm saying you don't owe me anymore. The score does not have to be settled here. I release you from the debt. Have you ever released a debt from anybody? I mean, few of us are lucky enough to have our mortgage company call us and say, hey, forget it. Don't pay us back. We've shredded your file. You know, you don't have to pay us. But sometimes on a smaller scale, we've had somebody owe us something and we've said, forget it. 
A guy borrowed my car once, crashed it, long story, but he owed me 2,000 bucks. He couldn't pay me. And as time went on, it became abundantly clear he cannot pay me. But there I was, seeing him at church every Sunday. Finally, I realized that if we're ever going to reconcile here, I have got to release the debt. And because I'm that kind of guy, I had a file on this guy. And in the file, I had carefully detailed the money he owed me. And so when I said, I have to efheme this debt so that I can have a relationship again with this guy, I had to go to the file, open it up, pull out that piece of paper and tear up the debt. You know what? That is such a good illustration of what you and I have to feel when we forgive the person that's hurt us, wronged us, said things to us that are mean, in some way injured us or the ones that we love. We need to tear the debt up. And that means when I see that guy on the next Sunday, and now I'm not thinking he owes me. You know what I'm saying? I'm not having to watch, you know, does he have any new shoes on this week? Because those are really mine, right? (laughs) I don't go there anymore because in my head, it's forgiven. The debt has been released. You owed me, but it's gone. That's what it's going to feel like for you. Now, I'm going to tell you that what's going to happen in your heart is you're going to have emotions that say, no stinking way. Because your heart's going to say, that ain't right. That ain't right. You like uh, having Abishai whisper in your ear, you're going to feel something that's going to say, that's not fair. And I want to tell you this, this may shock you, but that feeling that you have is rooted in something very godly. That feeling that you have that says, do not release that debt, that would not be right, is a feeling that reflects the character of God. It's called justice. And I love the way the psalmist puts it. It says, the Lord is righteous. He loves justice. So when you think that slime ball needs to pay, you are reflecting a godly characteristic. That is one of the foundations of God's character. It's called justice. And now I'm saying that, it now really throws us into confusion, right? I'm supposed to release a debt, and you're saying that's going to work against my emotions, and my emotions are really connecting with something godly. Now, this is what I'm saying. But the world's going to say this, forgive and forget. The world's going to say, pretend it didn't happen. The world's going to say, make excuses for it, and don't hold them responsible. But biblical biblical forgiveness is not like that. Because we're not looking the other way. We're not pretending it wasn't really a debt. We're not acting like, you know, what there's some excuse. Watch the news and watch these people get on the news and talk about how they're forgiving that person that hurt them or killed their child or whatever. And they talk about, well, you know, there's excuses and they didn't mean it. And they go through all these things. That's not forgiveness. As C.S. Lewis used to say, it's looking the sin squarely and clearly in the eye and understanding the nastiness and the dirtiness and all the gunk in it and then releasing it. It's not minimizing it. It is recognizing that I am not the one to enforce justice. It is recognizing that though I affirm justice, I am not the one to mete out justice. Now, this is, couldn't be better illustrated than in my family. I have these two little boys at home, and for some reason they beat each other up a lot. Just part of the package, right? They come, you know, very aggressively hurting each other. So, here's one. Let's just say it's my youngest. John decides to clobber Matthew one day. Okay? I just picture this. There they are in my house doing whatever they're doing. All of a sudden, you know, John decides to hurt his brother. So he picks up something and goes, clobbers his brother. Now, if Matthew, when he gets clobbered, knows that dad is in the room and just saw it. Okay? I'm standing here. He gets smacked by his brother. But he knows dad was there and dad saw it. Do you know what my son's response is? That's what he does. 
He looks immediately to me. He looks hard at me, right? His eyes open up and he, he goes, eh. <laughs> like, what are you going to do? Now, do you know what happens when my son John clobbers my son Matthew and Matthew doesn't think his dad is looking? If I happen to be, you know, in the next room, but I can see down the hall what's going on, and John clobbers Matthew, and Matthew doesn't think Dad is anywhere around, do you know what Matthew does? He looks for something heavy, sharp, <laughs> dangerous, and he clobbers his brother. Now, in both those scenarios, my son believes in justice. But one is a radically different response to his brother. One is, let me find something to try and hurt you very badly. The other one is, Dad, in the one, he personally releases the debt and says, you know what, if justice is going to be carried out, I know someone who'll do a real good job. <laughs> As a matter of fact, he is so convinced that justice will be carried out and maintained in our home that sometimes when John clobbers him and he knows I'm looking, he feels sympathy for his brother. It's almost like this, oh, John. <laughs> because he knows it's coming. In either case, justice prevails. But in one case, it's deferred to someone else. That is critical. Because in the one case, if he's convinced that dad watches, the debt between Matthew and John is released. But it's not released into oblivion. It's not released into some invisible it didn't exist. It's not released into an excuse. It's given over to someone else. Go back to our passage in Romans 12. Classic passage on forgiveness. It starts out in verse 17 with this statement. Romans chapter 12, verse 17. Do not repay evil for evil. Now, if you really ponder that statement for a few minutes, it would bother you. I mean, isn't that what justice is? The issue isn't the equation. The issue is who's the subject. I don't want you repaying evil for evil. Now, here's a little caveat. I'm not talking uh, about uh, uh, policemen here. I'm not talking about the court system. I'm not talking about lawyers. I'm not talking about the Constitution of the United States. I'm not talking about a body of laws or the legislature. There is a God-given role that they play that God has affirmed and established. Romans 13 is clear about this, that they are there and they are trying to, uh, in some semblance of justice, uh, prevail upon our society to, to, to have right uh, awarded and wrongs punished. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about in these relationships. You and me, you and your spouse, you and your brother, you and your parents, you and your kids, you and your fellow church member. The Bible says, don't you repay evil for evil. It's not your job. It's not your job. As a matter of fact, he goes on to say, be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Everyone? Yeah, that's charizomai. Do not take revenge. That's canceling the debt. That's a femi. My friends, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, that frees you up to extend grace. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. That is exactly what needs to happen when someone wrongs me. Even if it's as petty as gossip or, or undue criticism. I believe that God is watching. And I have to have the faith to believe that God sees it. Now, if you don't have that faith or you're a non-Christian, then you're, you're on your own. 
Now, you, you defer to the courts. The courts don't help you. Then you, you take it out. You, know, you, you take justice in your own hands. We believe that God is a God of justice and equity. And when I'm wronged and I'm gossiped about her, there's undue criticism. You know what? I can release the debt personally because I know we have a a dad, a very loving dad, but a very firm and disciplinarian father who is going to make sure that his kids treat each other the way they're supposed to. So I leave justice up to dad. I leave equity up to dad. All those feelings of he ought to pay, I leave that up to dad. I look at dad. I may do this. Hey, you seeing this? But when it comes to me and you, you know what? No debt. As a matter of fact, there's compassion especially in the non-Christian world, it's one thing when a Christian wrongs me. And I think our loving Heavenly Father is going to deal with you. But when a non-Christian wrongs me, there's even more sympathy. Because they'll stand before God one day and they'll be accountable for what they've done. And when you talk about what they've done to God's kids, people like me, adopted children of the King, my goodness. Because hell is not just one big cauldron of sulfur God throws everybody in. It is exacted, carefully planned, discriminated, degrees of punishment based on activities, actions, behaviors. God brings out a book and looks at everything that was done. So when someone wrongs me, there's a lot of compassion, particularly if they're non-Christians, because I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you don't know what you're doing. You know, it's like somebody coming to rip me off or to beat me up or to mug me or take my wallet. It's like, man, I don't think you want to do me. Don't do me. Right? <laughs> It'll be really bad on you. You won't, you know, a hundred years from now, you'll, you'll hate, you know, just the thought of me. Don't do me. See, because I recognize it's justice. But if they were to rip me off, you know what? It ain't an issue between you and me. Debt is canceled. The government doesn't take care of you. I know God will. It's important for us to recognize that that is the core, the other, the other element, the other component of forgiveness. Charizomai, I extend that hand of forgiveness even when it's not deserved. Aphemi, I let go. One is very active. One feels passive. One is disciplined to be passive. One is disciplined to be active. One says, I give, and I say, let's make up when I feel like they don't deserve it. The other is, I don't do anything when I feel like I I should do something. I don't want to settle the score, even though I feel like perhaps it ought to be settled. Make the first move. That's what charisma is all about. Fully cancel the debt. That's what Ephemi is all about. That's what it means. And when the king said, you shall not die, he was practicing biblical forgiveness. An Essential Biblical Lesson on Forgiveness. You're listening to Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares and a helpful biblical lesson on how to forgive. If you'd like to review Pastor Mike's study notes from today's message, or if you'd like to listen to the complete message without interruption, go to focalpointradio.org. Just search for a message titled, The Key to Survival on an Imperfect Planet. As we're learning, King David wasn't perfect but we can still learn a lot from his life and by studying the lives of other imperfect people who God has used throughout history. That's why this month we're featuring a book written by Dr. George Sweeting called The Pursuit of Excellence. You'll be inspired by the stories of other imperfect believers and encouraged to consider your own pursuit to fulfill God's call for your life. When you make a donation to support Focal Point today, we'll send you a copy of Dr. Sweeting's book as our way of saying thanks. Just call 888-320-5885. You can also give online at focalpointradio.org. Or if you prefer, write us at Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. And remember to ask for the book, The Pursuit of Excellence, when you get in touch. We're so glad to have you with us today and every day as we study the depths of God's Word. 
We work hard to make Pastor Mike's teaching available for you in as many formats as we can. But none of it is possible without the generous donations of your fellow listeners. If you've given to support this ministry in the past, thank you. We truly appreciate you. And if you've never contacted us before, please get in touch. When you do, we'll send you a free pamphlet all about knowing God's will. You can let us know you're listening by calling 888-320-5885. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, inviting you to join us again tomorrow for our weekly feature called Ask Pastor Mike. Mike's answering some common questions about tithing. It's an Old Testament way of giving back to God. But does tithing still apply to Christians today? Hear the answer from Pastor Mike when you join us Friday for Focal Point. Hi, Pastor Mike here. God's Word promises it'll never return void. So I wonder, how is God's Word moving in your heart right now? Drop us a line. Let us know. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to be praying for you here. Just go to focalpointradio.org. And then be sure to join us again tomorrow right here as we continue to explore the depths of Scripture. We'll see you then. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.